Hello everyone. We are back with another episode of Blitz Business. Today with me I have Brett Mather, CEO and co-founder of Involve.ai. Involve is a revenue optimization tool for brick and mortar retailers and their suppliers. In this episode we talked about Brett's journey after working in corporate for 15 years and starting a startup. building a retail analytical solution the challenges around it uh, finding the right product market fit right sales strategy and why sometime letting the fire burn is a good idea i hope you will enjoy this podcast hi brett thank you so much for coming over to blitz business it's a pleasure to have you here it's nice to be here and thanks for inviting me great 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 so brett Uh, tell us a little bit about your venture involve.ai what was the idea behind setting up uh, the company and uh, what does it do yeah sure so um i'll give you a little bit about the idea behind it first um mm-hmm. so i've i've spent about 15 years working for consumer goods companies across uh, across asia pacific so i worked in australia i worked in uh, korea in hong kong in singapore um, even spent a little bit of time you know pakistan bangladesh indonesia so a lot of different markets working for uh, some big consumer goods brands and uh, like i guess um you know, through all my time working with these brands and retailers i was always kind of frustrated with the lack of access to real insights of what's happening inside retail stores so mm-hmm. obviously you know consumer goods brands they sell a lot in you know mom and pop stores and convenience stores um you know these very fast moving retail environments uh and less online um but the access to information coming from these outlets is is really bad um so you know i was you know in you know roles where i was sort of trying to get this information and i would found that you know i would have to pay a lot of money and this information was mm. quite slow and you know i kind of got to the point where i thought there has to be a better way like there's a lot of there's a lot of data available in these stores you know they've got a lot of transactional data they've got a lot of consumer data and it just seems to be locked up and no one's really getting the benefit out of it the retailers themselves don't really know what's going on their suppliers or their brands don't really know what's going on there has to be a better way um you know with some of the technology and tools we've got today to really start to free this up so that's where the idea came from um so what what involves uh, mission is is to is to help retailers and their partners and, and their brands sort of you know get access to all this information they have inside physical stores um and particularly you know some of the smaller more local retailers that we have across asia um really mm-hmm. giving you know the retailers access to information so they know what's going on inside their business and they can share that with their brand partners and hopefully then you know you know make these businesses a bit more sustainable and and more successful uh, in the future so that's you know that's in a nutshell what we're trying to do is release this information from all these physical physical locations so so that's very interesting uh, Brett, so what sort of data are you uh, particularly 
capturing is it transactional level data or you're touching other aspects of a retail outlet through uh, image video etc what sort of data are you looking at yeah so we're primarily looking at transactional data um it's mm-hmm. kind of the first layer and the first level uh, is just really getting a handle on what's being sold and that's you know that poses a lot of problems in a lot of places anyway to get access to that um but we do some work with um image data so in terms of you know we've, we've worked with uh, you know security camera footage and uh, cctv footage to identify how people are moving around inside a store to mm-hmm. you know measure traffic outside of the store we've also looked at blending other external data sources like you know traffic and weather and a little bit of online trends and patterns but predominantly like 80% 80 to 90% of our work is with uh, just pure transactional data because there's a lot of there's a lot of richness of stuff that we can we can do with that once we get it get it right 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 uh, so very interesting right so uh, uh into uh, the listeners will be very interested to know you know what was the most difficult aspect in you know after having worked in corporate for 15 plus years mm-hmm. in establishing a startup you know running a startup what was the most difficult aspect of it yeah um and it's a big it's a big change it's a big uh, <laughs> it's a big change yes yeah to go from you know this big corporate world where you've got uh, you know lots of resources and you know it comes with its own challenges and its own benefits mm-hmm. to um you know, uh, you know a brand new startup which you know you kind of you kind of got nothing um i, I guess maybe maybe two things i found I, interestingly i found the I found the sales process really the speed of sales uh mm-hmm. maybe that was probably the biggest challenge that I faced like I kind of knew that we would struggle to access resources and you've got to do things on your own like whereas before you might have you know a guy in finance who gives you your budget and you know someone in legal who would prepare the contracts for you and someone in marketing who would put together the brand plans and like as a startup you have to do all of that but that's kind mm-hmm. of something that I expected I I think I expected though coming from a corporate world that I felt I had a bit of an assumption that corporates move quite slow and then when i would, mm. you know when we started this startup i thought this is going to be much faster in terms of sales but i found selling as a startup to be really slow um and maybe because i came from a consumer goods company where sales is almost like an everyday thing like every day you get sales <laughs> of your product going out the door and then we've now i've now started a a enterprise b2b company selling analytics mm. and you know the mm-hmm. you know these are sometimes 6 to 12 month conversations to get these sales across the line so like i think the the sales process and how extended the sales process is um i thought that was a yeah that was something i didn't expect i didn't expect to take 12 months to get sort of one deal um across the line <laughs> um, which was which is a bit of a shock and a bit of a bit of a struggle to deal with and still is still is I mean uh, that's a very important aspect you know uh, uh, whenever i talk to founders like sales uh, is is a very tricky piece to crack uh, but i think it's very fun to see the to eat the fruits of your labor after you know 12 months 6 months whatever it is uh, but as founders we are always selling something or the other we are selling the ideas or selling the solution so what are, what, what is your uh, key takeaways or what worked for you you know because 
sustaining a 6 to 12 months sales cycle it requires mm. a lot of motivation passion to stick through the process mm. so tell us a little bit about what sort of worked in the sales process or what sort of you tweaked in into the processes just some insights yeah i think uh, it's it's a good point like i think i probably made some of the well, i definitely made the i guess the classic mistakes when you come out and that uh, when we first started we were you know we were very you know we went to a lot of these presentations with big customers and even mm-hmm. the you know the different presentations to people internally before we would start to talk about a pilot would be you know 3 months worth of engagement and then we would start you know we would immediately start to do these pilot programs that were 3 months and then you would have like a 3 month evaluation process before you start to talk about um you know an ongoing deal or an ongoing relationship so i think um you know up front we went maybe a little bit to maybe a bit too hesitant and a bit too i guess as any early startup you sort of offer up free pilots a little bit too easily so we would we would go into big meetings with big um multinational brands and the first thing we do is okay let's you know after we explain what we do we just offer free pilots that you know of course they would accept and we would do a lot of work on that um and it would take you know take a lot of resource a lot of time from from the mm. business i think what we've done more recently is um you know just not sort of naturally go to free pilots and start to you know offer the product with a cost and of course we give some trials and we limit that down to sort of 30 days and we have we have very clear objectives of what needs to be had uh, what needs to be hit at the end of those 30 days so that it turns over into a contract but it's uh, i guess it's just it's a much tighter proposition now rather than you know let's just do pilots straight away because that, that's something that can eat up a lot of time and resources uh, from the business I mean that's a very excellent point Brett in terms of uh, uh, I specifically remember also in terms of uh, uh, my early days we used to tend to give the if there is a big customer sitting on the table hey just use our product right we are willing to give mm. a free service why not why not yeah. uh, I, I think that's a very interesting sort of uh, uh, trade off it's on the table in terms of it might work out but uh, until and unless there is a strong commitment maybe the value of the pilot is small or some sort of you know a motivation or incentive from both side needs to be strongly sort of in place yeah and i think um, it's exactly right. and, and what we kind of learned the hard way was that a lot of customers i know it's a lot of you sort of hear it from a lot of people as well that, that they don't value mm-hmm. things that are free but you as a startup you're a bit i guess uncertain of your when you in the very early days you're uncertain of the value that you offer so you you kind of mm. offer these pilots to get some learnings and to get some traction but i don't know how much it proves either you don't really get proof that you have a product that people want to pay for until they have to pay for it so i think what we so we had a number of pilots that we spent you know 12 months or 6 to 9 months worth of time actually running the pilot and at the end of it you mm-hmm. know they didn't convert and i think if we had have found that out much sooner obviously then we could have done something else so right. i think that you know bringing that question of you know if a customer is willing to pay for something getting that up front as quickly as you can even though the answer may be mm-hmm. no you learn a lot more about sort of where the problems are in your product than than sort of you know extending these pilots out for a long period of time yeah i mean that's a great point in terms of understanding uh the what is the 
uh, value the customer is willing to pay uh, some ballpark numbers to help align you know your goals yeah. and brett tell me what will be sort of uh, in your experience you will say the early warning signs you know this thing is not sticking in right uh, yeah. maybe we should have pulled it off earlier these were the sort of indicators or something yeah i think uh, without sort of naming the customer do with a big multinational uh, brand mm-hmm. um and i think you know one of the early signs we probably should have seen is that initially when we engaged with this customer we were engaging at quite senior levels um, and we had a lot of interest from you know the general manager of the country um or mm. the management team of the country and then you know they would sort of agree to kick off this pilot but then very quickly i guess the guys on the other side who are running the pilot would get more and more junior um so at some stage mm. we would have you know almost you know one of the interns or a recent graduate who'd be responsible for leading the project on our side and then we would get kind of stuck there so you know we would we would be doing a lot of work and then you know the, the sort of graduate on the other side would be would be running the project and the senior guys would kind of move on to something else and then we never really got mm. that momentum back we never really got back mm-hmm. in front of them we never really got their interest again so i think i guess a warning sign for us is that you know the the senior people in the organization that we were dealing with would kind of step away from the project and then we get kind of trapped mm-hmm. at these uh you know more junior levels who you know these guys were trying their best but they just didn't have they couldn't make decisions to move the project forward right i mean they couldn't move the entire system because once the stakeholder sort of shifted their priorities or for whatever in number of reasons yeah. it become difficult yeah 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 absolutely so brett what will be your sort of advice for a startup uh, if it someone is starting right now in any sort of segments in a b2b typically in b2b space where they are looking at to target bigger account they should target bigger accounts or smaller accounts you know what should be the optimal uh strategy to start off i think we have more recently so like for us we t- we worked with the largest accounts first and at least we found that to be not so successful it, it took a lot of time and and very early days you know i mm-hmm. guess it's natural for a startup or and cuz we you know have a lot of colleagues and you know other startups that we that we talk to and you know we we go through these sort of things as well but i guess it's natural to want to have the big brands on your website because it it validates you a bit like if you have these big multinational brands as customers you know it's it's good to show investors and it's good to show other customers and so you kind of feel like i'm i'm collecting logos a little bit of the guys that i work with um mm. but it's mm-hmm. like at least for us we didn't find that to be so successful in the longer term um we definitely learned a lot but it didn't convert to a i guess a profitable customer um it was it mm-hmm. was probably costing us much more to run than we were getting back so we found more success in the medium sized uh, sort of the sme level uh, accounts um these guys mm-hmm. and really i think it's a, it's a bit of an underappreciated part of the market because they don't get as much attention from other vendors so you don't get you know players right. like you know the big you know, ibms or salesforce or whatever it may be uh trying to um you know chase these guys so they 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 kind of they need a little bit more support and they can move faster so they don't usually have the layers of decision making in between so you mm-hmm. you can get to the 
the CEO or the GM and they can make a decision quickly and they don't have all this process that the multinationals have. Um, and, and so we found that sort of SME level uh, much, much better for us and, and then much easier to work with for us. Right. I think uh, excellent learning in terms of, uh, because ultimately cash flow also needs, needs to be managed. A bigger account has different challenges altogether. And the, the very interesting thing you mentioned in terms of IBM and Salesforce. So how do you position your technology? You know, uh, uh, how do you differentiate or what's your positioning uh, with respect to technology? Yeah, um, I think... And we, we, as everyone does, we've we've changed this over the last um, over the last few years. Um, okay. I think we try now to keep the we try now to keep the technology almost secondary. Um, we've we've mm. found a lot that when we're talking about um, analytics and we're talking about um, you know, data and how we can help them improve uh, a retailer's or a brand's business. It, it, it just naturally can get quite technical. And if we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, how we've developed a NLP algorithm that helps us cleanse transactional mm -hmm. data or categorize products, or, you know, we use certain ML algorithms to help with our predictive models. A lot of the time, the the customer, you know, they just kind of, they don't get it and they don't want to get it. So they're kind of, you know, it, it, it sounds quite technical. It sounds too complicated. And they're just like, no one really ever wants to say in a meeting, I've got no idea what you're talking about, but that's what they're thinking. So they just want to sort of close down the meeting and move on to something else. So we kind of, we kind of now try to keep it very much on the output and not really go into the, the, the technical aspects of the product as much as we can and try to position it as something that's simpler. Um, because all these, you know, mm. all of the retailers that we work with, they want to get more sales and they want to, you know, give their staff better information so the staff know what what's going on with promotions and they want their suppliers mm -hmm. to be able to give them the right product. So really, I think we try to make it now more accessible um, and, and, and not go too much into the technical details of the product. So I guess from a positioning perspective, we try to go with this easy, accessible, everyone can use it, this is what it delivers and keep the, keep the um, technology aspects to the side as much as we can. This is absolutely you know point I will I hundred percent agree on. I personally have seen and B two B sales where corporates are saying, oh, we don't require so much such complex stuff. You know, we are happy in our Excel's or whatever we are yeah. doing. Uh, maybe down the line, five years, ten years. So definitely keeping the pitch uh, simple, understandable, comprehensive makes a lot of difference for yeah, sure. Definitely. Great. So, uh, so Brett, tell us a little bit about how uh, in the current ecosystem of startups, uh, we, we are seeing availability of a lot of funds, uh, startup raising lots of funds, especially in analytical space, mm -hmm. in analytics. Mm -hmm. So do you plan to raise any funds anytime soon or have you raised uh, anything? Uh, uh, yeah, so we... Um... We uh, did a, I guess, a pre-seed round um, about mm -hmm. 12 months ago. And it was a fairly, I guess it was a fairly sizable pre-seed round. It probably sat between a, a pre-seed and a, and a seed round. Um, and mm -hmm. mostly worked with, um, you know, friends and family for part of the round and then some 
angel investors uh, that we were put in contact with um, and quite experienced angel investors who joined the round as well. Um, so that was, so that's, we, we kind of raised a, a decent amount at pre-seed. Um, we were mm -hmm. looking to around sort of Q1 this year, we were looking to then sort of extend that into a seed round, um, but kind of mm -hmm. hit a few speed bumps with the whole um, virus situation and you know, some some challenges yeah. that we had with our customers. Uh, so we didn't we didn't raise a seed round. We then sort of shifted the the, the strategy, I guess, of the company a little bit. Um, and fortunately, over the last sort of six months or so, um, we have repositioned the company to be profitable on a on a monthly sort of basis, um, which right. has given us a bit more breathing room. So it's a very very mm -hmm. small profit amount, but uh, at least it's at least it's in the at least it's in the positive. So it gives us you know it's mm -hmm. sort of taken that pressure the the need to raise to survive. So at least for the, mm -hmm. um, I guess the, the, the near term, uh, we're not looking to raise because we're kind of in a space now where you know, we, we want to extend out the growth as much as we can. I don't see any real needs in the next sort of 12 months where we need a huge amount of capital to be able to grow. I think we can grow organically quite a bit. Um, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, I guess, the space where it is at the moment and its ability to keep going um, in the short term. But profitability is, is a very rare word to hear, even though if it's small enough, you know, it's always good to have a positive bottom yeah, line. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's the, you know, it's 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 barely into the profitable space, but at least it's at least it's profitable. <laughs> so it, it's it sort of I guess it takes that, you know, the need to raise capital to survive has yes. that sort of pressure that mm -hmm. you have to raise to survive has now um, moved for us. So now it's about, you know, do we need um, scale capital so once we really get the model right and you know we're really starting if we need capital to grow faster and repeat the business model mm -hmm. and i think that puts will put us in a different um position when we do uh, if we do raise again in the future uh, hopefully a much uh, a much more comfortable position right uh, that, i think that's a very uh, uh right word to say uh, scale capital in terms of you know to get you at the uh, at the right level of uh, the ecosystem, at the right growth level. So you mentioned about the virus. Uh, so what has been the impact of COVID on your business uh, after the lockdown happened globally? Uh, how did you deal with it? Yeah, so we, we um, a few things. Uh, I guess we were actually working quite closely and one of our one of our biggest potential customers was a travel retail uh, chain of retail of stores um, across across mm -hmm. or global chain of stores. Uh, we were really close to um, to getting an agreement or a deal in place with them uh, around March, but just when these things started to shut down and travel retail stores everywhere, um, you know, pretty much just closed. Mm -hmm. So you know that. Um, that deal fell apart, which was a big hit for us because a lot of our projections for this year were dependent on that on that one big deal, which is a bit of a lesson in itself to not put everything in, in one basket. Um, but so we had to quickly rebase. Um, I think where it's mostly hit us is that for a period of time and really the last, maybe the last month or so has, has started to change a bit. But before that, um, uh, getting new customers we found quite difficult. 
Um, our existing customers, we were quite strong and our relationships are good and, you know, they're working, they're working with us, they're using our product and we probably expanded our business with existing customers, but getting access to new customers, you know, remotely via Zoom and, you know, talking about analytics deals with retailers when they've got all these problems about inventory and is my business going to stay open? You know, that that was that was quite difficult. So uh, I guess it's really impacted us and our new customer projections, which for a startup are crucial. Um, so we've had to adjust them. And, you know, we've, we've really worked on building our current customers and also managing mm-hmm. our cost base. So we had... You know, we had built up a lot of resources that would help us grow sales resources and more tech resources. We had to let some people go. We had to scale down the team um, to a different sort of growth projection. Um, and we had to do that stuff quite quickly. So, you know, literally within a, and I think that's helped us is that we move quite fast to adjust the cost base of the business. Um, and by doing that, we sort of maintained uh, a, a decent performance over the last uh, six months. But yeah, overall, it's, it's really hit our, our growth trajectory that we had planned for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, uh, definitely, I think uh, this was some interesting insight in terms of how you sort of manage how the communication was a key, uh, you know, key sort of uh, variable in terms of communicating with your existing customers. Mm-hmm. How do you see, I mean, you understand retail from both aspects in terms of selling from the both sides of the table in terms of being selling consumer products to uh, in a B2B sales. Where do you see the technology moving forward in terms of what is the niche area or where does the opportunity lies at this at this point yeah. in time? I think what what we've seen over the last probably, well, you know, in particular over the last six months, we mostly work with physical stores, um, which I know across mm-hmm. Asia, you know, there, there's been a lot of shift to online uh, buying generally. Like if you look at the headlines, you see that online sales have accelerated for groceries and all sorts of, all sorts of retail products. Um, I still think that physical will play, physical retail um, still will play mm-hmm. a lion's share of the performance, um, you know, for the for the retail sector in the near future. But physical retailers are going to need to quickly change how they operate inside their stores. Um, I think, you know, being able to work remotely from headquarters to their physical stores, because maybe in the past the retailer may have had, store managers or area managers that would go around and, you know, collect information and fill out compliance reports or, you know, attendance sheets or whatever it may be. Those manual processes that they had in past have been disrupted uh, by COVID over the last six months. And now they're looking for technology solutions. So I think, you know, being, I guess the digital transformation of traditional physical retailers will only accelerate um, mm-hmm. in the near future. And I think you know, I've got a lot of confidence in this part of the industry to be to be more uh, sustainable and more successful um, because of this, because retailers are being forced to change. Like we have customers, um, you know, in Malaysia, for example, that, you know, quickly had to shift. They've never had an online offering. They had to quickly shift to build mm-hmm. an online offering. And they're literally taking... They're taking orders via WhatsApp um, from their customers and they're getting, you know, staff to go and fill WhatsApp orders and deliver them on their own. Like with no software or no services behind it, um, people are finding workarounds to do it. So I think that that sort of increased 
digital transformation of these traditional stores is only going to accelerate, um, you know, as, as we go forward. Wow, wow. Uh, that's an uh, uh, amazing insight in terms of, I think, the pandemic definitely has brought in a tech-led sort of a revolution where everyone is thinking and has sort of has to map their sort of processes mm. Enable them technology tech enabled. I think it's a very interesting point in time. So, so Brett, uh, I know we have sort of stretched our time a little bit, but to sort of conclude, uh, if you were starting today, uh, what would be your suggestion? If someone is starting today, uh, what would you have done differently? You know, what will be your advice? Uh, it's a it's a it's a big question to sort of to sort of, to sort of uh, uh, to wrap it up on uh, because there's there's so much. Like it's you know you do because myself and my co-founder, we sort of, we both finished an MBA um, before we started this business and you spend a lot of time, you know, even as part of the MBA, you go through new venture discovery and how to set up a business and how to run a startup and you do a lot of study and research on it and you feel like you have all the answers mm -hmm. and then when you start the business, you realise that you, know, you, you forget everything, you don't know what you're doing, you have to learn everything again from scratch. Like it's kind of, <laughs> no matter all the, all the sort of, you know, the study and academic part that we did, we, we, we seem to make, to get a lot of things wrong anyway. So like it's, it's um, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff. But I think one of the biggest parts is that you have to kind of, you have to go through it uh, yourself as well. There's some things you just kind of have to get wrong. I, I think the couple of things, like if I could, tell myself like you know go back and tell myself mm -hmm. a few things to do i think one would be to move a bit faster on the product um and trying to monetize the product quickly um i think we spent a lot of time kind of working on ideas and technologies and you know almost trying to get validation from different customers about if they agreed with our idea I think if we could do it again, I would go very hard on like, let's get a product up quickly and let's see if this product can stand on its own. And if we can make money out of this product, even mm -hmm. if it's only, you know, small subscriptions per month, but trying to sell a product as fast as possible. Like we probably spent 12 months or mm -hmm. 18 months, we started this company, just, you know, a little bit in the concept stage and working on MVPs and doing pilots. And I think that was far too long. I think, you know, it would have been better if we just really got a, a functioning uh, product that we wanted to sell to someone in a couple of months. And then we would learn from that. Like the faster that you do that, the, the stronger it can be. So you know, just get a product out the door as, as quickly as possible. And even if no one wants to buy it, at least you learn a lot and then come back and iterate on it um, instead of sort of doing, mm. you know, POCs and long-term projects. And you know, I think like that point of having someone to pay for it as quickly as possible um, is very is very valuable. Um, and I think just the final point that I would that I think we have to learn as well is that, and I think I've, I've seen this somewhere else that I agree with a lot, is that you have to, and advice I would give is you kind of have to let some fires burn. Um, like there's, coming from the corporate world, I guess I was always sort of conditioned to try and make things perfect. So the presentation had to be mm -hmm. perfect. The, you know, the contract had to be perfect. The, the meeting had to be run well. The follow-up had to be well done. You know, the, when you're recruiting someone, you have to recruit them in the right way. The onboarding has to be perfect. As a startup, you just can't do that. 
Like mm-hmm. there's no way you can do that. And I mm-hmm. think you have to go into that going, some of these things I'm going to do badly. Like, you know, when I bring on a new, a new hire, potentially the onboarding is going to be a little bit messy and you're just going to have to live with it. Or the, mm-hmm. the contract's not going to be the most perfect contract in the world. Like some of these things you've just got to intentionally say, they're not going to be perfect because I can only focus on the product or I can only focus on the sales. Um, some things you've just got to let, let go and let them and accept that startups are going to be, they're going to be messy mm-hmm. and you got to let, you got to let some of these fires burn. I mean, that's a, that's a very excellent point, Brett, in terms of, you know, uh, uh, because as founders, we have a tendency, you know, for all the processes, you know, it has to be, as you mentioned, right, it has to be perfect. These things need to be done in this particular fashion. But at certain point, I think uh, people do realize, you know, you cannot control the entire spectrum of operations from sales to technology to product, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And there will be definitely, uh, definitely inefficiencies uh, which will creep in. And that's, that's a very good point in terms of to accept, you know, to have that sort of uh, idea, you know, that's the way it is, right? And moving forward, things will definitely get better and better. But with the constraints uh, you have, someone has, that's the best what you can do. And definitely there is only few areas where uh, someone can focus and trusting uh, or delegation is a big piece, right? In terms of you have to trust the process or when you're delegating to someone, uh, I think uh, that comes from yeah, experience. And, I think, <laughs> and just on that, like, you know, what we found as well is that you know, your, your passion for your business covers a lot of, covers mm-hmm. a lot of mistakes. And I think, you know, coming from the corporate mm-hmm. side, you, you try to, you know, make everything as professional and as slick and as smooth as possible. In a startup, you try to do that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what you've got as your advantage is you're much more passionate about what you're doing. When you're dealing with a customer, you know, you really love your company, the CEO, you're talking to them. You know, you're really enthusiastic about what you can do. And customers will be accepting of a lot of stuff. If they're dealing with someone who's so, you know, maybe it's not the most perfect contract or the, you know, everything's perfect on the presentation or the branding is a little bit off or the product has a few glitches. They'll accept a lot of that if you're really sort of passionate about your business and helping them because they don't get that from some of their other corporate mm. suppliers. So I think that passionate startup founders have and startup employees have can take them can take them a lot further than maybe what they think when they're dealing with customers. Right, right. I think passion is definitely the key uh, to uh, in terms of running a startup, to mm. recruiting, to selling. Definitely. I think uh, that. That can make a lot of difference. Uh, great, Brett. Uh, it was just wonderful to have you over and uh, and sharing your wonderful insights, some key takeaways in terms of passion and letting the fire burn. You know, you have to uh, understand the process and the key insight in terms of retail analytics. You know, uh, shifting from a corporate background to running your own startup. I think it was just uh, great. Thank you so much for coming over at Let's Business. Thanks, Ashish. I really enjoyed it. We could keep talking for much longer, but yeah, it was it was great. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, we will be back with more interesting episodes soon. Stay tuned. <laughs>